maybe 60, 70 people saved every week, every single week. I saw miracles every week, significant miracles. Verify. I mean, it was amazing the season I was in. I remember going to Catherine Kuhlman. Anybody know who Catherine Kuhlman was? Yeah, I remember going to her meeting. was blown away. And Catherine actually laid hands on Lonnie, who, be, who kind of brought that anointing into Calvary and then eventually into the vineyard. And um, so when, when, when I started going to the, uh, what, what happened was, you know, I went on to college then and, and uh, got a, uh, I took a youth ministry minor. So my minor was in youth ministry, major was in communications. And, and so I had to, as a minor, I had to be part of a church. So I had friends in the Yorba Linda Friends Church and, uh, who were youth ministers there. So I went there. Anybody know what Quakers are like? Um, well, I grew up in the Baptist church. There's not much difference <clears throat> as far as what I could tell. I mean, I was dying in, in the church because it was like there. I used to drive on Wednesday nights to Jack Hayford's church in Van Nuys just to get something, <laughs> you know, from the Lord. So it was really, really tough. Well, anyway, that group, and if you know anything about, I don't know, if, have you read any history about Quakers? I mean, George Fox and... William Penn, who's my middle name, it's my heritage, my mom's maiden name is Penn. So I related to the, to the Quakers in more ways than one, and so we really came out, the Vineyard came out of the Quaker movement, and they were Quakers and Shakers back in the day. They were the radicals. William Penn was in prison for a lot, many times he was thrown into prison uh, in England uh, for his faith, and so they were the radicals of the day, and so anyway... Uh, the Quakers started gathering on some of them, you know, you know, ten of them at at the time, um, 1975, 76, uh, winter, and and um, so I started getting involved with that, and I saw this thing where you know I had seen everything, they had seen nothing, they didn't believe in the gifts of the spirit, they'd never been around anything, they were just hungry for Jesus. Well, I remember a couple years after that, so now we're a church, you know, a few hundred people, four hundred or whatever, something like that. And, um, you know, things, things were happening, things were developing, I mean, lots of salvations, things going on. And then, <clears throat> I'll never forget John uh, Wimber, he, was, he started preaching through Luke, and, and I don't know how long it was, but um, he was preaching uh, on healing week after week after week. And, and for 13 months, nobody got better, nobody got healed. In fact, people got worse. We had one person die. I mean, it was just like the most trying experience that the church ever went through. And uh, people left the church, as you can imagine. And I'll never forget one day John said, uh, and it struck me for the rest of my life, he said, he said, I am not going to preach my experience or my lack of experience. I'm going to preach this book. And that's all I'm doing. It happened then. It happens today. And that's all I know. My experience may not be because I never experienced healing in my life, and he never did until one day, 13 months later, uh, it happened. Just in a, just in a, a little room with one woman, uh, he had no faith whatsoever, and the, the woman was instantly healed, and he, had, uh, he was filled with as much doubt as anybody. <laughs> but that was the beginning of the release. And so... You see that I'm going to be talking, we're in a topical series, and I had every intention to do something else until yesterday. But see, I've been, I was sick the first week of October, I had a, had a viral infection, and, um, and then just last week I got sick again. 
you know what? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach on healing. That's all there is to it. I'm going to proclaim healing. I'm going to proclaim by faith, not by experience, not by what I've been experiencing. And after all, uh, we just experienced a far more significant uh, physical trial with uh, dear Melissa and uh, the power of God in her life, don't you think? Sue's here. It's, I call them the Walker sisters. <clears throat> and so we're definitely going to pray. Is it okay if we pray for you guys today as well for continued recovery? Pray for me. Uh, Phil, I think, needs some prayer. Jim, how is your body? Do you need some prayer today? Okay. So we're going to keep that in mind. And if you need prayer, this is, a t this is what we're going to do today. I mean, it's the way I've but we're supposed to do things. And so I want to take a look at how the Lord Jesus dealt with this issue of healing, what his heart was. In Matthew chapter 12. And then they brought him a... What? Oh, who's doing the PowerPoint? Are you doing PowerPoint? That's why it's perfect. Okay. <clears throat> then they brought... Oh, that's no reflection on you, Phil. <laughs> He's just that good. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the, And that means when they asked something like that, son of David, it's, it's, it's the deliverer, it's the Messiah. They, they knew that's what they were referring to. Is this the Messiah? Is this the anointed one? Is this God's one that he's been promising us all these years. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts. Isn't that interesting when you read that? You know how many times that's in the Scripture? It's amazing when that Jesus knew their thoughts. I love that. Anyway, is that available to us today? Isn't that a word of knowledge? Yeah, it's similar to that, yeah. Jesus knew the thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can, this king, how can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so this entire encounter is in the context of healing. Jesus just instantly cured a man, first delivered him that was demon-possessed, but also was blind and mute. And there was probably, probably some sort of an attachment with all of that as far as the physical ailments and, and conditions as well as the demon possession. But when something supernatural happens, there's basically three explanations. Um, you know, and this is in a general way because there's some finer uh, examples and explanations of it, but the basic three are it's of God, it's of the devil, or it's of the human soul through psychology, you know, manipulation, of uh, uh, suggestion, hypnotism, whatever, all those kinds of things. So the soul, God, or Satan, and in this instance, the religious people of the day, those that were supposed to be protectors of God and His law, they said that this one who came... <clears throat> Was, uh, was performing this by the power of the devil. And so what happens is when something threatens what you believe or what you've grown accustomed to, you either, you either modify what you believe, you change it, or you, or, you, or you call it the devil. It's the easy way out. You, know, you can't explain it. But Jesus is saying here, 
that the devil is not going to work against himself. Why would Satan drive himself out of someone? Why would Satan bring healing to somebody that's, that he's oppressed? And keep in mind, the, the Pharisees were not necessarily opposed to what Jesus was doing. They didn't have a problem with casting out demons, by the way. They, in fact, they were involved with the expulsion of demons to a certain degree. What offended them was the way that Jesus healed. They didn't appreciate all this attention he was attracted, Thought, talks about the Messiah, all of this kind of stuff, you know. They, they didn't, he, you know, um, he had this instantaneous, miraculous nature to the way, to, to his healings. And they didn't also like the fact that he would heal on the Sabbath because they felt that that was uh, um, not right. It was against the law. And many of today's religions are, are similar. It's not necessarily healing in itself that offends them because they believe the, the ability of... I, every Christian believes in the ability of God to sovereignly heal whenever he wants. So they believe in, in, in also in doctors and medicine as a way that God can heal, but what they don't like is this expectation of healing and miracles all the time. You know, the fact that God can use you and me to heal. The fact that, that, that we emphasize the prayers of faith and um, prayers of command and all those things. That's what's typically offensive. So what happens when the miraculous does take place today? Same thing that happened here. That calling the works of Jesus the works of the devil, often. And follow me with this thought, the things that you do are an expression of who you are. You cannot divorce what you do from who you are. And so when someone attributes to what Jesus is doing as of the devil, then it's as if you're calling Jesus himself a devil, which is actually the way Mark's gospel records it. They actually did call him a devil. And I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but what happens is that Jesus calls them, he then calls them a brood of vipers, snakes, and an adulterous generation. Why would he do that? I mean, these are religious people. Why would he call them snakes and, and, and adulterers? Because they rejected the person of Jesus and the works of Jesus, both. They rejected who he was and what he was doing. They were, willing, they were unwilling to see past their offenses and were, were just entrenched in their doctrinal belief system, which is one of the primary traps of the enemy in the church today, to get us so blinded to our own perceptions and, and own uh, uh, perceptions of truth and right doctrine that we don't see anything else. Have you ever seen that? Oh, it's so common. You and I probably have it too in some area. I don't know. I mean, how would we know if we're blind to it, right? So love and unity prevails over what our perceptions of truth often is. However, one of the keys to this passage is found in just prior to the text we just looked at. It tells us that the Pharisees were actually out to kill Jesus. So Jesus withdrew himself, and then this large crowd followed him, and it says he healed them all, which, by the way... Uh, proves the compassionate heart of God, doesn't it? Jesus, I mean, he's trying to be killed. He's, trying, he, he's getting away. And all these people are following him, and he doesn't think about himself. He heals all, it says he healed all who were sick, all who were ill. And he just shows that that's the compassionate God we have. That's his heart. And Matthew, who's recording this in, in, in this chapter, he then quotes from the prophet Isaiah, 
and informs his readers that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy that included these words, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, until he has brought justice through to victory, in his name the nations will put their hope. Now I've taught on this before, I've done an entire message on this one verse, and so I'm not going to go there again, just to say that this prophecy is all about the heart of God for his people. And keep in mind, this is in the context of healing. Matthew brings this up. And so we are the bruised reed, you see. We're the smoldering, we're at wick. When it comes to our physical bodies, we often must endure the bruises of illness and sickness. When it comes to our spiritual life, we're, up, we're like that candle that sometimes, you know, it's just like ready to die, it's ready to flicker out. It feels that way. But our Savior, the crucified and resurrected Jesus, He is not going to break the bruised reed. He is not going to snuff out this moldering wick. He's going to bring justice all the way through to victory. I love that. He's going to bring justice. Justice, is, is, it's the same word actually as righteousness. He's going to bring righteous justice through all the way to victory, so much so that people throughout the world, this is what this verse is saying, will place their hope in his name because of his mercy, because of his love, because of his compassion. And because Matthew uses this passage in the context of healing, we can know that this is the heart of God for his people. God's heart is to heal his people until Jesus returns in power, glory, and victory. We can believe that, right? Well, if all this is true, why are there still some today that reject the notion of Jesus' ministry of healing continuing on through the church throughout history? Well, there's five basic attitudes toward healing. First, there are those who don't believe and don't want to believe. You're not going to get through them to, no matter what because even if they see healing and miracles, they refuse to believe. They simply will not believe in the miraculous. Oh, they'll believe in doctors being able to heal people and, you know, you know God supernaturally healing, but they will not believe in the miraculous power of God no matter what when it's coming through uh, people because God doesn't do that anymore in their perception. Number two, those who don't believe but want to. So these are those that have been raised similarly as the first group, but, but they are open to believing if they could see it. The first group, even if they see it, will reject it. This group, really, I just got to see it. They, they want proof before they're going to believe anything, which, of course, is not right, but that's just where they're at. Number three is those who believe but do not act on that belief. These are those that let others pray. You see, they may have correct theology about healing, but they simply let others pray for the sick. They just don't get involved. Yeah, they believe, but they, you know, they don't want to participate that much. Number four, those who believe act on that belief and rarely see results. If I had a show of hand, I probably, there might, I mean, this happens a lot by those who step out in faith in the sense that we, we keep stepping out when we're just not, I have never seen a miracle. How many t believers have you talked to? They've never seen a miracle before. And it's like the goal should be willing to stay within the tension. You know, Christianity is filled with tension. That's the king. The kingdom is, is full of tension. And, and, and when you pray and you don't see results, 
the, the goal is to have the willingness to live in the tension of not having all the answers, but choosing to believe nevertheless. Making the decision, praying for 13 months for healing and never seeing the result, because the Bible says it. You know? It's, it's making the decision to continue to be obedient, to pray for the sick and whatever er, other areas. And then finally, the fifth area is those who believe, act on that belief, and do see the results. That's the ideal, of course. That's where the Lord wants to lead us. And as long as we can live and minister in the fourth area, see, the fourth one will lead us to the fifth. You've got to go through that fourth level. That's the key. It's just not having all the answers, and, and, but as long as we keep going, keep moving, and trusting the Lord, we can move into that fifth level. When you read the Gospels, do you get the idea that the disciples of Jesus understood everything he did? <laughs> well, yeah, but then why in Western Christianity we've evolved in this people that have to have a clear understanding of everything until we, until we believe? Why is that? Why do you have to have an, why do we have to have answers? That's that's our Western mindset. We've got to have all these clear answers before we're going to understand or 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 in, place ourselves in any kind of involvement, and it presents quite a problem when you're trying to follow God. He doesn't seem to care if we don't understand certain things. He seems to sometimes enjoy keeping us in the dark, you know? Why? Because then it's faith. It's, it's walking and living by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, do you want to understand everything about healing before you're going to believe it? Do you want to know exactly why God doesn't heal everyone? Do you want to know why he, uh, for whatever reason, will heal a headache but not a cancer patient? Do you want to know why some of the best prayers, some of the most faith-filled prayers seem to go unanswered? Well, good luck with all of that. Good luck if you're trying to have all the answers before you do anything. You see, I have no problem whatsoever saying I don't know when I don't know. I personally can pray for anyone for healing with, ex with the most faith I can muster up without having all the answers. I mean, I hope God speaks to it, and I hope I'll obey Him without having all the answers, because if I cannot follow God without having all the answers, if I can't follow Him, I'm not going to go very far in my faith. I won't go very deep. Because He hasn't called us to understand everything. He's called us to obey. Drop your nets and follow me. Pretty clear. Their nets were everything. They were commercial fishermen. Everything was attached. The nets was not just, hey, stop fishing, you know, stop having fun out there. No, it's stop whatever you're doing in your life and follow, drop it all and follow me. It's exclusive attachment to Jesus. That was his original call to his disciples. When they dropped their nets, they dropped everything. They dropped family, they dropped profession, they dropped everything to follow Jesus. So I want to, in, in, in looking at healing, I want to establish a few, a few premises, three of them. The first premise is that sickness entered the world through sin and rebellion of the first Adam. Through the death and resurrection of the last Adam, however, we can now experience victory over sickness. It's called restoration. It's called the, the last Adam undoing and, uh, um, what the first Adam did, bringing healing and, and victory to what was once a defeat. 
Second one is that God prefers us to be well instead of sick. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? The, uh, can, you, can you accept the promise that the Father would choose for his children to be well rather than sick? That his intention for his, sick, uh, for his children is not to be sick but rather whole? I mean, think uh, if God were just a friend, which he is a friend, the Bible says he's our friend, but if he was, were just a friend, he would want us well. How much more would a father want their child well? So he does. He wants us well. Number three, while Jesus was on earth, he modeled the heart and the ministry and the will of God for us. Since one of the primary ministries of Jesus on earth was healing the sick, and since we have been sent by Jesus in his name to do the same things, then our prime, one of our primary ministries on this earth as the body of Christ is to heal the sick. And so really, this is all we need. There's always going to be these this, this, these three steps. This is all we really need because there's always going to be unanswerable questions. I can't answer them for you. I wrestle them with them myself. But if we choose to move forward in faith and accept these three premises, in other words, if we accept the victory Jesus purchased for us, if we, if we believe that the Lord would rather us be well than sick, and if we understand that followers of Jesus are to carry on the same ministry as he did, that's all we need. You see, he can do the rest. And I've shared this before, but the healing ministry of Jesus comprises nearly one-fifth of the Gospels. That's a full 20% of what is written in the four Gospels records the actions of healing and deliverance and the accompanying teachings regarding healing and deliverance. And whatever Jesus did on earth was a demonstration of God's will for us. we got to know that. I mean, if we don't believe that, then we're, we're kind of like, what do we believe? Jesus, when he came to earth, he, do, do you believe that? When he came to earth, he demonstrated the heart of the Father and the will of the Father. Well, 20% of his ministry and his teaching was in healing. That's pretty substantial. And so Jesus is willing. There are many people that cry out. We might not hear the cries, but their Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I want to see. I want to hear. I want to be free of pain. I want to be delivered out of this darkness, this depression. You know, people in the world, people even in church, they're just crying out for this thing. And the Lord is looking for you and me to have faith to say, as Peter and John did, I don't really have all that much, but whatever I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Be free, you know. The three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus was not a blip in history where God poured out his mercy and healing and then took it all back. The three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus was a model for the early church. It was a model for the church throughout history, and it's supposed to be the model of, of believers today. Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. Do you believe? Are you a believer? Yes. Well, it says it right there. These signs, I'm not making this up. These signs will accompany, I love the word will, not may, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. Do you know you don't have to ask the Lord if it's His will for you to heal the sick and have victory over darkness? You don't have to ask Him. God, is it your will to heal the sick? 
Is it your will to use me to, to have victory over darkness? Do you think it's necessary to ask the Lord if it's his will for you to communicate the gospel? Of course not. Lord, if it's your will for, this, for somebody to hear the truth about Jesus, then open my mouth in faith. You know, we don't do that kind of thing. But it's the same with, with healing. Communicating the gospel and healing the sick are very often and clearly communicated together nearly at the same time by Jesus throughout the gospels. And, and, and Jesus, by the way, um, did you know Jesus didn't say to pray for the sick? He said to heal the sick. Now, that's no criticism on praying for the sick, because I say it all the time. Jesus was a little, he's a few steps ahead of all of us. And, and so, but he never, he didn't say pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. Wow. That means God wants to do this. He's not just saying, just blabber a few prayers, pray for the sick, and hopefully somebody's going to better. He said, heal them. It's faith. But it's not faith in what we're doing, it's faith in a person. It's a faith in the person who did this, who is the forerunner, who is the trailblazer for us. It's the following him and seeing what he's doing uh, you know, in lives around us and asking, Father, what are you doing? Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. Lord, are you healing, in the, are you healing there? I want to heal. Are, are you moving in this person's life? I want to speak words of healing and command the, the sick to get well. And I hope that we have the faith to believe in God's power uh, uh, to heal and the faith to believe in the power that's available to you to place your hands on the sick and them get well. The faith to believe in God's willingness to heal and the faith that he wants to use you to heal. You know, that's getting to that fifth level where we begin to see results. And we don't have to embrace a bunch of methods. There's so many healing methods as well as evangelism, all kinds of methods. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it, there's basically a couple of principles that if followed, any method's going to do. So use whatever method you want, but follow these principles. First, believe that it's the will of God to heal and that He wants you to heal. And then second, learn more and more how to hear the voice of the Lord and see what the Father's doing. If we can just do that, if we can just believe that God wants to, desires to heal and he wants to use me to heal and, 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 and I just want to hear his voice and follow his lead and bless what he's doing. Isn't it interesting? It always, almost everything comes back to relationship. Intimacy with the Lord. Even in the area of healing, it's not so much you and I coming into full understanding of everything that God wants to do in the gifts of healing. So we've got it all figured out. We've got our theology down. Everything is, is right now. We understand it all. It's not about that. It's coming into intimate relationship with the one who heals. So the main key to releasing healing in our midst is to have the healer among us. Amen? We've got to have the healer among us. Otherwise, what are we reduced to? Methods. It's him. He's the healer. I mean, for worship, do you just want to worship the Lord in song, or do you want to experience the presence of the one you worship? <laughs> do you want to just be free from physical pain or sickness, or do you want to experience the healer in your life? Well, probably both, right? <laughs> but listen, healing is, is, is not like some mere event, um, you know, like going to the doctor. You go to the doctor to get diagnosed and medicated. You go to Jesus to get him. You go to the doctor to get feel better. You go to Jesus to live better. You go to the doctor, he fills a prescription. You go to Jesus because he is the prescription. 
And I'm not minimizing by any means the importance of doctors and medicine and all those kind of things in the area of physical healing. God uses those for his purpose. I'm simply letting you know by, by comparisons that whatever methods God chooses, instantaneous healing, healing through doctors and medicine, uh, continue soaking prayer, whatever method he uses, it's always about him and the establishment and maintenance of an intimate father-son, father-daughter relationship. It's always about that. It's always wanting us. All the way back in Exodus, the Lord said, I am the God who heals you. He didn't say, I will heal my people. He said, I am the God who heals. See, healing is all about the healer. That's what I believe. So it's the healer that we lift our voices up to. We're praying for people who are sick among us, but we're lifting our voices. We speak to the illness. We command it to be gone, but our voices go to the healer, the only one, the healing one. And we can pray, healing Father, come and walk upon Come and walk among your people. Let us experience you as the healer today. Let us in- increase this atmosphere of expectation as you move among your children. And that's what I want to do today. I want us to pray. If you can put on some, some music, because they're going to participate as well. Um, so we're just going to put on some, some music. And, and, and we want to pray for one another. So I'm going to have some, you know, everybody's the ministry team here, whoever's not sick. Is <laughs> we're not feeling well. I don't mean just sick because we've got a bad knee back there and some other physical, but you know, I'm sick. I don't know what's wrong with Phil. Jim's body's hurting. A lot of hurting people here today, but we have a God who heals. And can you do me one favor today? Please don't pray, Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. Do you know what that has always done for me? Not always, but the last 30 years probably. I always feel like, like, you know, if I go to if I go to Barbara and I say, "Lord, if it's your will, would you heal your daughter here?" You know what you know what I'm really saying, Lord. I want her to be healed, but I'm not sure if you want it. It's my will that she gets healed, but I don't know if you will this. That's insulting. I'm more compassionate, merciful, kind than God, so I don't pray that prayer. I just believe it's God's will to heal. He can sort out the reasons why it doesn't always happen. That's not my issue. I'm just going to believe he's the healing God, okay? So let's, let's um, well, I think the better way would be that those of us who want prayer to stand right now, well, you guys can't stand back there. So why don't we, um, oh, I know what we'll do. Why don't we do this? Why don't we, like, those that need prayer, we'll all go back here and sit with the, with the Walker sisters. So we'll just come back here and sit, and the rest of you just stand and come back and pray. You know, two or three people on a, on a group, okay?